Man, it's good to be back with you. My name is Matt Porter. I'm the lead pastor of Outward Church. Uh, we're one church in two locations. If you didn't know this, we have a location in Salem, uh, which was started back in 2007, and then, and then now we have this location, which was started back in 2021. And, uh, and that was uh, back on June 6th. And so just so you know, like this is a really significant thing that we're gathered here. There's as many of you as are here. It's worshipful. It's amazing. Like this is a cool spot. Like, amen. Come on. Yeah. Like, like, le- yes. Dude, I got, I haven't been here for like two months. I thought I should probably keep the mothership uh, uh, make sure that we're on track over there. We got really excited about Silverton. They were like, hey, wait a minute. We still got a church back there in, in Salem. And so uh, I've been taking care of that. And, and guess what? You guys didn't need me at all. I, I, I'm just totally unnecessary here. I just came to say, say hi, and that was about it. And so hopefully I've got some scripture to share with you, and, and that'll be all right. But um, man, we're, we're excited about you. We're excited about what God's doing here in, uh, in Silverton. And uh, in the surrounding areas, obviously, we have people that are, I mean, I think I've heard people come down from Canby and all these other little towns that are all over the place. And so we're, we're glad that you're here. Thanks for coming. Um, listen, as Tim was saying, as we were opening the service, we have an event called THX. We've been doing this for like 14 years, something like that. And uh, we, we're serving 330 families this year where we take them a fully cooked meal. We take them some uh, Christmas presents. We used to take them uh, trees, but that, that got a little uh, crazy as people started driving Priuses and stuff like that. And so it's just hard to shove it in there, although I'd love to try every time. Like, yeah, I'll get it, I'll get it. But um, uh, I'm not a big fan. Sorry if you drove a Prius this morning. Uh, we're getting off on the wrong foot, but... Um, most of you have pickups, I understand. Well, no, I can see out there right now. Everyone's driving sensible cars. All right. Uh, so that's why we got rid of the trees, but um, for now anyway. Uh, but uh, man, it's been pretty awesome. Raised uh, $40,000 already. Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, yay. Yeah, I know you already clapped for that, but you can clap again. Uh, and then uh, let's see here. What else? Oh, yeah. So we, I, I was just uh, asking our uh, social media gal right before service said, you know, how many more families is that? She said, that's about, we have about 45 families left uh, to sponsor. Uh, it's somewhere between six and $10,000 uh, that it will cost us. And so in, in any case, about 45 families left, 40, uh, $150 um, uh, sponsors a family this year. Food costs are sky high. And so we're hoping that's going to cover uh, all of it. So if you haven't sponsored a family yet, make sure you do that. Get in on this. It's pretty fun. And then the other thing is that like on Thanksgiving morning, we uh, get together. We're, we're leaving from outward in Salem. That's where the food is out. And so you would need to drive to uh, Salem, outward Salem on Thanksgiving morning. Be there at nine. We have a little get together with some hot cocoa and uh, uh, maybe some donuts or something like that, and it's pretty fun. It's really fun, and then you go through the line, you get your family or families, and then you take off and you go serve. Uh, so we have, I, we're hoping to get 50 families from in Silverton. I don't know where we're at. Actually, I should have asked that before I got here, but 50 families from the local schools uh, in Silverton uh, that need help, and so we're, we're hoping to have that. So there should be some deliveries out here. Would love to see you be a part of it and join in with the whole church, and so um, so that's that. We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 20, so if you've got a Bible, you can open it. Um, that would be really awesome. I don't know if you remember, but last week, uh, Tim, I guess, gave a, a, a barn burner sermon, even though we're not in a barn, um, did a fantastic job uh, preaching in, in regards to uh, Jesus' parable of the tenants. 
And, uh, and so that was pretty amazing. But what Jesus has been doing is taking everybody off. Jesus has been really making people mad uh, because when he speaks, he speaks with authority. And these guys who are pretty much like the head dudes in the temple, they want to come up. They want to catch him and what he's saying. And they want to get him killed. They want to get him out of there. And they are unable to do it. They're unable to catch him in that stuff. And so they, they begin to plot immediately. I think Tim preached through verse 19, uh, which says, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So that's how we wrapped up last week. But it really kind of gets us into this week because that just happened. Now they're really mad. They're really, really, really mad. And now they're like, I gotta get this guy. Oh, so what do they do? They this is what it says here. It says verse 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him and something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. Now what I don't know who they sent. But they've, they've got a group of guys, maybe they got the fake glass with the fake nose and the mustache, and they're like kind of getting into the, you know, where Jesus is teaching, and they're, they're trying to figure out what Jesus is saying, and they're kind of trying to pose there, and like, well, let's, let's ask them some questions. What the other accounts, that's Matthew and Mark say, is this, is that, that these, these temple guys, these Pharisees, went and consorted with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians doesn't mean much to you, but what it, what it, what it mean, meant back then was this. The Herodians were people that were of Herod. They were people that were kind of connected with the government. It would really be a lot like this. It'd be like the Pharisees were like the uh, 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 neoconservatives, and the Herodians are the straight-up center of Portland liberals, right? I mean, they're just like, so we got these, got these really conservative guys, and then they've got these really liberal guys. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you at all. Like, there's been like fighting in the streets, whatever, throughout the last couple of years, or on the news or whatever, but there, there's some similarities there. So there's these two groups of people that come together, and they come together for one cause. It's, and it's not like to save the children. It's not to feed people that are, you know, that are, that are hungry. It's not to eradicate uh, injustice or anything like that. It is one thing and one thing only, and that is kill Jesus. I want to kill Jesus. That's what, that's, I, I don't want to kill Jesus. They want to kill Jesus. They want to take him out big time. And so what uh, what's happening here is that here we have, we have the Pharisees, we have the Herodians. These are the right wing and the left wing forces that are joining to try and kill Jesus. And what do they say? They say, so they asked him, verse 21, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. They come and they start to butter him up a little bit. You know, Jesus, uh, we know what you, you're, you're such a great guy. You don't take anything from anybody. You're your own guy. You know, you just teach uh, what you want to teach, and it's, it's just amazing. You know, I just, I, you know I, just, I just had this little question that I'd love, that I'd love to tell you. I'd lo love to get your, your input on it. 
I'd, lo- I'd love to do this. So they're, they're flattering him. They're, they're, trying to, they're trying to get an answer out of him. They're trying to butter him up so that they will get the answer that they want. And really what they're trying to do is they're trying to hang him on the horns of a dilemma. What they want to do is they want to catch him in his words, and they want to get him to a point where he makes everybody mad at him, and therefore he gets stuck, and somehow he ends up getting killed. That is the ultimate thing that they want to do. Uh, One of the commentators that I was reading, Kent Hughes, said, flattery is the opposite of gossip. He said, in gossip, you say behind someone's back what you'd never say to their face. In flattery, you say uh, to someone's face what you'd never say behind their back. And this is basically what they're doing. They're coming up to Jesus. They don't believe anything that Jesus has had to say. They don't like what he's had to say. They don't, they don't like anything about him, and so they're just sitting there, they're, they're telling lies, they're just lying to his face. It's pretty interesting because uh, in, in, uh, in our political circles, in our social circles today, what we have is we have different sides of issues that are both claiming that Jesus is on their side. That Jesus is on our side with, with, with our thing. He, he, would, he would vote this way. He would be this kind of person. He would, he, would, he would act in this way, and we would be his buddies. You have the other side. It's like, man, Jesus would never do that. Jesus would only care for the poor. He would only uh, you know, resolve injustice. He'd only do this. He, he doesn't care what you do. All he cares about is, is that, you, that you love him. Or maybe not even that. Maybe you just are a loving person. Or maybe you don't love everybody. Maybe you at least love yourself. That's, that's the bare minimum right there. People are oftentimes trying to get Jesus on their side, so to speak. That's how this relates to us, I think, a little bit. Is that you have two sides of the issue, but really both of these sides, in their heart of hearts, really just hate Jesus. It makes me wonder if Jesus were to roll up today in our churches... If Jesus were to roll up today in, into our society, how would he be received? Who would he vote for? What kinds of things would he say? Because no doubt, there'd be cameras, there'd be like people w- with, with their phones like taking pictures of him as he's doing this or that or the other thing. He's down like feeding people at a soup kitchen. I don't know what he'd be doing and people would say, oh, he's, you know, he's, he's just all about the poor. And then he'd be, he'd be going over here, he'd be doing this. And oh, he's all about that. He's all about this. And I think at the end of the day, what might happen is that there might, might be some church people that come to the point where they say, man, I don't think he is that. I don't think he is the son of God. He's just kind of messing things up because, I don't know, my thing isn't going as well as I thought it was going to go now. Because Jesus is here, and now they're all following his, his teaching. That's the way it would be. That Jesus would be out teaching on the field out there. I'd be in here still preaching to like five people. And I'd be like, man, that, this, this kind of stinks. What's going on? Where's everybody going? I think there'd be a lot more people who think that they like Jesus. Who think that they love Jesus. That really wouldn't be on the in crowd. And they might be the same as these Pharisees who are just ready to take him out. They might be just like these Herodians who are ready to take him out. And basically sitting there trying to trick him and get him into a pickle that he can't get himself out of. And so they come up to him and they, and they have this great question for him. They say, is it lawful? And by lawful they mean not government lawful, but religiously 
lawful, the laws of the Old Testament. Is it lawful for us to give tribute or pay a tax, a specific tax, a head tax, to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness, and I'll get to that in just a second. So they come up to him and they say, should we or should we not pay this head tax? Should we or should we not pay this, this particular tax? Now, there, there was a lot of different taxes in their day. There's all, all, kinds, of, all kinds of taxes, like on, their, on their, their goods that they made, on the work that they did, on this, that, and the other thing. But this particular tax was a head tax. And what I'm told is that everyone over the age of 14 years old owed it. And so it's just, just for being alive, just for having the privilege of even like breathing Caesar's air, like they needed to pay this tax. They had to pay this thing. And this infuriated the Jews. In fact, it had been infuriating, infuriating them for some time. There was a guy named uh, Judas of, of Galilee, I believe, about 25 years earlier, who had gotten so upset about this. He had gotten so upset about this tax that he, he finally threw an insurrection. He was a revolutionary and he throws this insurrection, and he comes into the temple, and the temple had been uh, totally messed up. There was all kinds of stuff going on, on in there. He cleans up the temple. He kicks everybody out that shouldn't be there. He, uh, he sterilizes it, in a sense. And then he basically says, I don't want anybody to pay that, that head tax. And so he's a revolutionary, and he doesn't want anybody to, to pay that head tax. And what happens is he gets caught, and he gets killed. Immediately, just like that. Now, what's got to be in these guys' minds, in the Pharisees' mind, and in the Herodians' mind, is this, is that this guy Judas had been uh, summarily punished, like killed just like that, because he had been against this head tax. This was, it was particularly uh, angering for the Jews to have to pay this. And so, uh, what, what happened was, uh, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians are sitting there thinking, we know what we're going to do. We're going to try to get this guy killed. We're going to try to get this guy knocked off because he is going to be a revolutionary just like this guy Judas was. We're going to try to get him killed. And so that's what they're doing here. And Jesus knows this. There's this horns of a dilemma here that if he says, no, don't pay the tax, basically he's going to end up just like this, this other guy Judas did. But if he says, uh, go, ahead and, uh, go ahead and pay this tax, then he totally invalidates his entire ministry. One way or another, he is hung up on this whole thing. So how is Jesus going to answer this? How is Jesus going to answer us when we come to him with our ideas of what politics should and shouldn't be? Of what, of what we should and shouldn't be doing when it comes to uh, our rights as individuals. What would Jesus have to say about this? I've heard a lot about this recently where people have said they've tried to uh, uh, make their position acceptable according to Scripture on whatever it is, all of the mandates and all of this stuff. And we've tried to, we've tried to like, I got this Scripture and that's what this Scripture says and so therefore I shouldn't have to wear a mask. Or I got this scripture, and that's what this scripture says, and so therefore that's why uh, we should, or that's why we should act this way. So many times people try to, try to say that Jesus would agree with my opinion. 
Jesus would be on board with what I'm saying. I had somebody tell me a while ago, he's like, man, uh, I, somebody sat me down and showed me the scripture that says exactly that this is what we should be doing as a church. I said, oh, you found a scripture about outward church in 2021? Like, that's interesting, because I don't remember that being in the scripture prior to this. But so many times, this is what we try to do, is we try to get Jesus to agree with our opinions. And Jesus has a funny way of not only answering the question, but humbling us. And that's what Jesus does in this situation. He answers the question, and boy, does he answer it. And he said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? Now, the denarius that was shown to him is a coin. Uh, we have them. They are in museums and in other places. And on that coin, says, uh, th that coin says this. It says, Tiberius king, son of God, Augustus, high priest. So on this coin, there's someone who's claiming to be the son of God and a high priest. So it's pretty fascinating because we have this coin that is basically saying that here is your God. Here is the money of your God. This is your God. This is God to you. And isn't it fascinating that today that money becomes a God for us? Isn't it fascinating today that... that there's so many things in our culture today that can become a God to us and that will envelop us. So many of us are so, uh, so intertwined with politics. We're so intertwined with uh, whatever it is that's happening in, in culture today. I know some people have lost their jobs over, over vaccine mandates and, and stuff like that. And I, I don't agree with that. But the thing that we have to be careful of here, people, is this, is that we have allowed these things sometimes to become our God. We've allowed these things to become a God to us. We've allowed these things to get into our lives. And in the midst of it, we're, we're sitting here going, man, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? This isn't right. This shouldn't be happening to me. We, this is a free country. We should be doing this. But really what I think God is allowing us to do today no matter where you fall on these issues, is to say, which God are you, which God are you following? Because here's what God wants. Here's what God wants. God wants all of you. God wants all of you. He wants your political leanings. He wants every piece of you. He want, yes, he wants your finances. He, he, he wants your, your personality. He wants your, your emotions. He wants your intellect. He wants all of you. And I wonder if God sometimes isn't saying, hey, has this thing become a God to you? Has this thing become a God to you, your freedom? I mean, we're out here in rural America here. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm way more comfortable here. <laughs> I mean, most people are than in downtown Portland, but, uh, but uh, I'm way more comfortable with these people than anywhere else. But I just got to tell you, that what have we allowed to become a God? Because here's what they were saying. They were saying, Who, who's the God that we should follow? 
So he says, show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have. And the word that Jesus uses there for likeness is actually where we get our word icon. Um, it's also a word that's used for idol. And, uh, and when Jesus, so Jesus says, whose image or icon is on that coin? Whose image is on that thing? Show me a denarius. Jesus doesn't have one. Show me a denarius whose likeness, whose image, whose inscription is on that. And so somebody produces a coin. And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And it's, it's this, it's, it's almost enigmatic. It's almost hard to understand what he's saying. I, I think it's actually harder than maybe we even realize. Because I've read a lot of commentaries, especially studying for this, that, for this passage, that really go into, see, here's why you should obey the government. Jesus says, obey the government in every circumstance, and everything will be fine for you. And I just have some major questions about that. Like, I just have some major questions about that. Like, during the Holocaust, should we obey the government? You know, if, you, if we lived in Germany or wherever it was. Like, I, I mean, like, that's, that's kind of a question, right? Like, I mean, like, it's, so it's like, can we always say that, like, that's, that's what should be happening there? I don't think Jesus was trying to make a statement that was basically like, hey, just do whatever the government wants you to do. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I think there's, there's part of that. Certainly that says, it says that in Romans 13, it says that in 1 Peter and uh, stuff like that. It talks about obeying the governing authorities. But I don't think Jesus in that passage right there is saying, this is what this means. You should obey the governing authorities. And by the way, you know this as well. Now, Jesus is making this analogy that is very gripping, that really grabs us at the heart and really grabs us right at the core of our issue. He says, whose, whose likeness, whose image is on that coin? Who owns that coin? And they say Caesar, because here's the thing. Caesar, at that time, apparently may have taken his own stash of silver and minted his own coins. It was his silver. He made coins out of them, and then he distributed them to make this economy. So it's his image. It's his inscription. He believes that he's God. And so Jesus responds and says, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. I want you to give back to Caesar only, Tim Keller says, only the things that are Caesar's. Because there's some things that aren't Caesar's. Your heart, your mind, your life, your mind, your will, your emotions. But he says, I want you to give back to Caesar. I mean, in some ways, like, Caesar should be paid back. Like, it's his money, even though he's an unjust ruler in so many different ways. But it's his money. He should be given back that. The privilege of being in, in this particular area at this particular time, like, he should be given that back. 
But I think Jesus' argument is here, I only want you to give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give only what you have to without violating God's law. Only what you have to. Just render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give back to him what is already his. Whose image is on this coin? It's Caesar. What Jesus is saying there is he's saying image equals ownership. It's Caesar's, Caesar's image is on there. Image equals ownership. So then he says, render to God the things that are God's. Whew. And I think for a second there, they were like, they were like, I think we got him because he just said give to Caesar the tax. I think we got it. Oh, hmm. And I think it took him a second. It took them a second because they, they had to sit there and they had to go, oh, 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 what? That's, that's interesting. And then they get more mad. So what would they be mad about? Jesus says the coin has the image on it. What does this mean for us? It means that we, as his image bearers, are owned by him. See, image equals ownership. Caesar owns his coins. God owns me. God owns you, whether we like it or not, because image equals ownership. Because it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 22, uh, 27, I should say, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God purposefully mints his people, his creation. God purposefully makes these people, you and I, creates us. And what he does is he stamps us with something. And it's, and it's not like son of God, high priest, this, that, or the other thing. No, it is, I have made you like me. I have made you an icon. I have made you an image of who I am. Like God says, this is my image. I am making you into my image. But what does that even mean? What, it, what, it, what does it even mean to be created in the image of God? Well, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says this. He is, that is Jesus, the image of the invisible God. So what is God like? What's his image like? Guess what? You look at Jesus and you see what God is like. And then you begin to see something else. Let me keep reading here for a second. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. So he, he's... He, is, he has created all things in heaven and on earth, everything that's visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? It means to be like Jesus in some crazy facet, in some way, 
But it also means to be created through him and for him. See, when you were created, you weren't just created for you. Guess what everything in culture is telling you? Guess what my kids hear every single day in public school? (laughs) You are for you. You do you. You do whatever you want. And then they're surprised about the discipline issues. What in the world is going on? No, you were created through him and you were created for him. You're created through him and you're created for him. And I love this passage in Romans chapter 11 that goes through Romans chapter 12 verse 2. The Apostle Paul, when he gets done laying out this huge argument, which begins with the problem of man, it begins in Romans chapter 1, which is talking about like how people give up worshiping and serving the, this God, and instead of worshiping this God, they worship and serve the created thing and images like man like birds and reptiles and creeping things, it says. It means that we give up worshiping this God, and instead we worship other images. And then Paul lays out his manifesto on what the gospel is, which is the book of Romans. And he goes on and on and on, and he's telling this facet and that facet and that facet and that facet. And it's talking about how God saves people that have made it all about them. He lays out the case as to how God saves people that are so entrenched in politics, that are so entrenched in their beliefs about this or that or the other thing, that are so entrenched in all of these things that it has become a God to them. He's laying out the case as to how God saves people out of this mess. And man, we need that today because of this, because our world today is finally beginning to see the fruits of a culture that has been built on self-fulfillment, happiness, me, me, me. We've been sold this amazing lie that says, you do you, make as much money as you possibly can. Be as successful as you can. In fact, God just wants you to be successful. God just wants you to be happy. And so make, your, make him that your God. Because that's what God wants for you. They've been sold this bill of goods. It's this entire lie. And now what we're seeing is we're seeing this utopia begin to crash down in front of us. Do you want to know what's going on? Why is everybody fighting all the time? Why is there so, so much mess? Why is there so much chaos? Why is there, there all these things? It's because this whole system, this false kingdom, this lie is crumbling in on itself. And we need the gospel. And so Paul lays that out piece by piece by piece. And then he says in Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable or unknowable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Hang on a second. Who, whose image and likeness have you been created into? 
It's this guy right here. It's the one who has unsearchable judgments, unknowable ways, that no one can know his mind, and no one can be his counselor. It's not some guy who like stamped his image on a coin. It's not some celebrity that has some stupid Instagram. It's not some, it's, it's, it's not some political leader that, that uh, tries to tell us what to do or what not to do or, or whatever. It's not some presidential candidate. Like, who is the one that you've been created in the image of, and it is that guy who has unsearchable judgments, inscrutable ways. Whoever has used that word before? Not me. Only when I read that verse. It's unknowable. That's the one. That's the image that you've been created in. Do you know why? Your creation is good. Do you know why your body is good? Do you know why your mind is good? It's because you've been made in the image of that guy. And yet we've been corrupted in other ways. But that's the image that you've been created in. Verse 35 there says, Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Who's ever given something to God like, Here, God. I don't know if you've ever tithed like that before or given money to God, like, hey, God, you're going to owe me. <laughs> you ever done that? I have. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, like, I mean, or, or like spiritually, like Christians, sometimes like, you know what? I really want this thing to happen. Really, <laughs> like, you know, if you're single or something like that and there's like this Christian girl that you want to get with, like, you start reading your Bible a little more, maybe praying a little bit more and just like, hoping that like God's going to be like, hey, I see you coming around. How about a, how about a wife? You know, like so, something like that. Some of you don't deserve that. But um, uh, no, like who has given him a gift that he should be repaid? He's not some politician who's going to be like, hey, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know, that, that kind of thing. No, that's the one that you've been made in the image of. It's that God. What, what, what have we made him into? He says, oh, and this is so fantastic. For from him, we come from him. Everything that we have, our life, breath, air, enjoyment, intimacy, and marriage, success, business, work, fun, enjoyment, beautiful places. For from him, it's all from him. And then it's through him. I just took a breath because God sustained me. While you slept last night, you stayed alive because God sustained you. For from him and through him, through him we have seasons of the year. Through him we have the beauty of summer and the hell of winter in Oregon. <laughs> Sorry, I don't love the, the fall and winter here. I, I'm kind of depressed right now, but uh, um, no, but th through him. So we can be thankful. We can be thankful for the rain that, that uh, makes whatever it is you grow out here. Uh, so um, think of that country song, rain makes corn, something like that. Anyway, uh, sorry, corn makes whiskey. Can't remember a lot of talking about whiskey out here. Uh, so, uh, uh, I can't even sing the rest of that song. It's just going through my head right now. Okay. For from him and through him 
and to him. Oh, man, like this is, this is, this is stinking cool. It's not just that it's from him. Like, he get, thank you, God, for, for this stuff. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Like, it's, it's through him. Like, man, like, it exists. It lasts. It is. I'm, I'm alive because of him. But it's also to him. It's not just the things that are out here, but, but it's me. It's, I, I am from him. I am through him. And I am to him. I'm, my life is to him. And do you know when, when things go sideways? Is when you don't think that you're to him, but that you might be to Donald Trump. Uh oh. <laughs> or you might be to, who is the other guy? Oh, he's in the office now. Biden, yeah. Yeah. Really, Kamala Harris, if we're being honest. But uh, <laughs> how many people can I offend on the one Sunday that I come out here? Oh my gosh. So funny. For from him and through him and to not those political leaders, which I will, will, will remain nameless for the rest of the sermon. For from him and through him and, and, and to, it's, it's not to my work. It's not to my life. It's not to my way of life. It's not to, uh, it's not to anything that I desire, anything that I want, anything that I need. It's I was created from him and through him and I was created to him. I'm imaging him to him. Like I am created to be about him. To him. That's what my life is. That's what my, that's what my life is about. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And what do I do with that? To him be glory. Amen. Now I think that when Paul said this, like it was like, dude. It, it, it's an amazing statement. It is so amazing. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Like, like have we ever worshipped like that before? Like when we come together as a church, do we worship like that? Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom of God and wisdom and knowledge of God. And he, I, I just imagine that Paul is like yelling this. He's exclaiming it, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to, be, to God be, or to him be glory forever, amen. It's like, man, if that's what it's about, and that's what I'm here to tell you here this morning, is that that's what it's about. It is about bringing him glory. You were created to bring him glory. You were created to honor him with your life. You were created for that purpose. And that's why when the Republican Party says that you were created to support conservative values, that's why life goes sideways. Or with the liberal party, Democrats. That's why when the world says, you know what, you were created for sex. You were created for pleasure. You were created for Fill in the blank for your work, for your family, for your property, for your... That, that's why life is so unfulfilling because you can go after it, you can go after it, and you can get it. And then you can go, oh, that was, that's not as, it's not as cool as I thought it was. I, I grew up with, uh, without a lot of leadership in my life. I, 
got fired from a couple jobs in my early 20s because I was, you know, I just couldn't figure it out. Didn't have a lot of direction. I should have had direction, but I didn't have a lot of direction. And I was like, man, I am going to claw my way up. I'm going to do this American dream thing. And then I did. I got this American dream thing because I bought this house and it had some property. And I was like, dude, got the house? And I was like, yeah, it's, yep. You know, it's cool. It's, 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 it's nice. I mean, nobody has a property like it around me. Everybody walks on my property and go, man, that, you got, this is such a great place. I'm like, I know, it's awesome. But then deep down inside, I'm just going, it just doesn't feel that awesome anymore. But man, I've been trying since I was early 20s to, to get my stuff together. And I finally get my stuff together. And, and I, and I, and, I, and I'm like, I got this American dream. I got this stuff. So then I do a remodel on my house. And I get done with that, and I go, yep, yeehaw, got it done. My house looks really cool now. But it still doesn't feel that great. And you know why? It's because from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory. So what I can say about my beautiful house and my nice remodel and stuff is that it is from him. It is through him. And it's to him. And that I glorify God with my house. The way I do with my sexuality. And I, and I glorify God with my finances. And I glorify God with this. And I glorify God with that. And I, I glorify God with all that stuff, and this is where it gets good. Hang on, Robert, give me another minute or two. I'll tell you when, all right? I just got through the intro, all right. <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's, it's a new church, you know? The sermons start out long, and then we'll progressively cut them shorter, but as we lose people, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Paul says, based on that, I'm, I'm telling you all of this out of another passage just to tell you what Jesus means when he says, render to God the things that are God's. When he says image equals ownership, what does that ownership look like and how do you participate with it? Paul says after everything, to God be glory forever, amen. He says, I appeal to you therefore Brothers, by the mercies of God. Oh, we could do another sermon on that right now. <sighs> Paul's been laying out the mercies of God. Like, and if you, if you don't know the mercy of God, like if you think you're, 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 you're kind of cool, you're kind of a nice guy, you know, you keep a clean house, you got a nice wife, you know, you got your, your kids, you know, I try to give back to people occasionally, and I try to do this, and I try to do that. Man, there are lots of good guys out here. Lots of good guys, and, and, and girls, we'll, we'll, we'll include you as, as well. But if that's your mindset and you don't see all of the ways that you have believed that you were created in some other image and that you were created for some other thing, if that's what you're thinking, if you, if you haven't gotten that, 
then you don't understand the mercies of God. But when you see, and the beauty comes out when we screw up our lives, when things fall apart, and you begin to see, oh, I need the mercy of God. And so Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I, I want you, knowing this, that you were created in the image of God to bring him glory forever. You are from him. You are through him. You are to him. Everything is to him. I want you, based on the fact that you haven't done any of that, by the mercies of God for all of the ways that you've offended him, to present your body as a living sacrifice to say, okay, what altar do I need to hop on here? Which sounds kind of weird. But in a sense, it's like I'm giving up my rights. I'm giving up my stuff. I'm giving up my politics. I'm giving up all of my desires. I'm giving all this up and say, God, what do you want? What do you want from me? And he says, I, I don't want you to be conformed to the world. I want you to be transformed. Don't be discipled by the world. You know all of those trash shows that you watch are conforming you into something? You go, I don't know why. I can't seem to act like a Christian. Well, it's because you're watching crap. It's because you're looking at crap. It's because you look at what everybody else has to say. You're not looking at what God has to say. You are being conformed. You're being transformed into the world. And he says, don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All of that to tell you this. Jesus came here. And he's sitting with a bunch of people, and they're talking about what what this emperor, what this king wants. And he wants a, wants a tax. But Jesus, who's the richest ever, he's God in the flesh. He's the image of the invisible God. Has all the money in the world. Owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Has to say, hey, give me a coin. Because he doesn't have one. And why doesn't he have one? Because he became poor. He gave up everything for you. He gave up everything so that you could have relationship with him. And he did that by going to the cross. He gave up everything. And he's standing in front of you, not as this demanding God that says, I am waiting. You know, I had that in me, did you? Now he's standing as a crucified savior and he's saying, I gave up everything. Won't you render to God the things that are God's? You are God's possession. He owns you. And you can act like he doesn't. You can continue to do that. But he's inviting you into relationship through the cross. And he says, all of the ways that you've offended me, 
all of the ways that you've said, no, I built this thing, I made it, I got it going, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm a nice person, I'm a good mom, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's all a lie. Jesus went to the cross to save you from all of the ways that you've blown it. Won't you render to God the things that are God's? Can we go to the Lord's table here?